Hey, Riley. Yeah, Andrew. Do you want to make a podcast ad? I do, but what would we mention? So I think that we could probably put together an ad for a show called The Podcast Minds. There, but for the grace of pod, go we. You know, it's a podcast where we both pitch each other podcast ideas instead of doing one ourselves. Yeah, it's a podcast pilot pitching project. Totally. It's We should mention that it's a comedy show, right? Where we throw out ideas like getting weirdly deep into the themes of Jumanji. Is that one a podcast? No, no. Uh, I, I, it's, a, it's a podcast idea that is actually a front for me to talk to you about hyperfixations I got. Oh, that's uh, most of the things that you hit me with. Uh, what about instead if we just talked about all the different ways you could do a rewatch of Lost? Oh, that sounds like you just did what I did, but <laughs> you said it in a positive voice. Okay, and along the way, what if we pitched ideas like, I don't know, Epic Rap Battles of Mystery, the Lin-Manuel Miranda podcast? Listen to the podcast minds. There before the grace of pod, go we on your podcatcher of choice on the Moonshot Network. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Every Friday. And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all but the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Blood of Olympus. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, I'm kind of, I'm in a situation where I'm going to like slowly get more and more out of it as we kind of progress through this episode. Uh-huh. I've got cushions on my lap to put my uh, microphone on. And I'm wedged between my laptop, which uh, tends to run very hot, uh, and also uh, the dog on the other side, who is, like, pressed right up against me, which is very sweet of her, but also she's very warm. It seems you've entered a cozy zone for this recording. I'm in a cozy zone, but uh, I'll probably escalate to, like, a heat stroke zone around the 50-minute mark. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> How are you, Jacqueline? Stay hydrated. I'm doing okay. Uh... Uh, sickness has visited us uh, in this land, but no. we're we're surviving, we're thriving, we're doing our best. It turns out, no matter how all powerful you think you are, sometimes pathogens. T- turns out uh, that that COVID thing that everyone kept telling us was no longer around, still around. No, absolutely. It's <laughs> it's an awful it's an awful little world we live in right now. Uh-huh. And. On the other hand, it was my birthday uh, recently, so that's nice. <laughs> uh, I Hey, listen, listeners, uh, if you want to give me a nice birthday present, you can go and uh, leave us a nice five-star review on your podcast app of choice, or maybe even uh, subscribe to that Patreon, wink, 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 uh, or just keep <laughs> listening. Tell your friends about us. I, I get to do a little bit of beginning of the show promotion as a treat. A little, a little bit of a birthday solid for Jacqueline. That's right. Uh, speaking of solids, do we want to start chewing on these chapters with your summaries? Yeah, sure. No, I'm not entirely sure what you're on about, but yes. Chapter 49, Jason. Right as the Romans and Greeks make peace at Camp Half-Blood, the Olympians' warring personalities are reconciled. They rush into the Parthenon and help the kids absolutely dumpster all of the giants. And Jason even gets to have a little team up with his dad, while all the other kids go murdering with their own parents or godly patrons. They annihilate literally all of the giants, just kind of end that threat forever, and Jason gets to spend some time with his dad. But after the fighting ends, Zeus ominously warns him that the worst is yet to come. Chapter 50, Jason. 
because killing all the giants hasn't fixed everything. Gaia has still awoken, and the Olympians also need to deal with doling out blame for this whole fiasco. Zeus is pissed off with Hera, but since her plan worked out, at least, he refrains from completely losing his shit with her. With Apollo, it's a different story. Not only did he plot against Zeus with Octavian, but Zeus believes that by revealing the prophecy of the Seven so soon after the Titan War ended back in Last Olympian, Apollo fucked everything up by locking in this version of the future. Not only that, but the specific prophecy that Apollo brought about only mentions the seven demigods defeating Gaia, so the, the Olympians can't actually intervene against her directly. Jason tries to push back on pinning everything on Apollo, and the matter ends up tabled for now, after a little bit of infighting amongst the Olympians. In the meantime, the kids need to get back to America, so Zeus literally picks up the Argo like a volleyball and spikes it, smacking them all the way back to America, a journey that has taken them months in a matter of seconds. Chapter 51, Jason. The force of this, understandably, breaks the fucking ship apart, and the crew bails on Frank's back as he turns into a big dragon, straight into the battle on Half-Blood Hill. They fight back to back with the Romans and Greeks, except for Leo, who stayed with the ship. When Gaia eventually bursts out of the ground to reinforce her army, uh, Leo swoops in and grabs her with the claws of the newly reformed Festus, who has grown out of the burning wreckage of the ship, picking up Gaia's awoken form and carting her into the air. Jason flies Piper up after him, and the trio prepare to face Gaia for the last time. Chapter 52, Jason. The plan is simple. The Titans killed Aranos, god of the sky, by luring him to Earth where he was weak and then cutting him apart. The kids now have to do the opposite to Gaia. Jason and Leo use storm and fire to basically juggle her and keep her in the air, while Piper hammers her with charm speak, trying to get her back to sleep long enough that they can kill her. This unfortunately works a little bit too well, and Jason is affected too almost passing out and dropping from the sky with Piper, as Leo prepares to do his big sacrifice, turning himself into a ball of fire that incinerates Gaia and himself. So, Jacqueline, what do you think of these chapters? Uh, I really, really liked these chapters. I've required and is the master of executing. I don't know. Like I, It, it feels like sometimes I read a, a set of chapters that make me remember that, like, like, okay, we get down on these books a lot, but sometimes I read a set of chapters that makes me feel like, wow, why, like, are these, like, the best children's books I've ever read? Like, are these some <laughs> of the best books I've ever read in general? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I I was really high on these. What about you? I, I know what you mean in a general sense. Rick Ryden does sometimes hit you with that, that magic. He's, he's certainly capable of doing that. I was not so high on these chapters. Really? I didn't hate them or anything, but I feel like they kind of continue the track record that the past few have of just being kind of underwhelming. I I super disagree. I want to I want to be turned around on this, to be honest. Yeah. Uh. So I, there's a lot here that I really like. The first of mm. all, it's uh, hmm. Where do we want to start here? Because this is these are meaty. These are definitely meaty. Oh, definitely. We could we should probably just start at the beginning, talk a little bit about how we begin, which is with Jason's flash into the future, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, is really his idea of like, what will the future be like for me is so uh, this actually is I guess this isn't one of, this is something that I'm kind of neutral on, but he has this idea of like him as like an old man in a rocking chair telling stories <laughs> to his like 3.5 grandchildren uh, with Piper serving them all lemonade. And like, uh, it's, it's a very like a peek into Jason's mind in such a specific way. It sets such a tone, like what's going to happen to either like 
intercept this or uh like now that J- we know jason has this in mind what's going to happen because of that you know what i mean yeah i i mean again i i feel like i diverge from you because i kind of like this it is like it is like achingly generic as like a vision of the future but i to go back to kind of a lot of what we thought about jason and like lost hero i like the idea that he thinks of himself as having a future now yes like he was kind of defined previously by just being like the guy who will just do any task that's stuck in front of him and will just like is constantly like looking for ways to get killed for the mission basically and he now like no he he wants to like have a life outside of this bullshit like and that's that builds on the arc that we've seen throughout this book with him wanting to be uh, the auger, was it? The yeah, it be? I think that's it. So I, I, yeah, I ragged on it a little bit. You know, I, I was teasing a little. I, I oh, also yeah. really enjoyed this. Uh, I, I, like, I completely. I think that's a great way to like capture like how his character arc has gone, um, and it's followed by one of what I think is like one of the best big clusterfuck action sequences we've had in the series. Ooh, okay. Like I, it it starts off with the gods all riding into battle, like through the heavens. It's this sort of epic scene. Uh, honestly, like I like it is. It feels grand and magical, uh, mythical, I guess. <laughs> Mytho magical. <laughs> Mytho magical for sure. And then there's this bit like you get all of them riding through the air. This bit about how Zeus has like bound the four winds to to become his horses. Uh, I did it, like I did like uh-huh. that. It's just kind of a payoff to like I think we've seen all four of them at various points throughout this series. That's a nice little payoff for seeing all of them. De- definitely, yeah. And then as soon as they all uh required to describe or it's described as like they displace themselves jumping through hyperspace to like then be on the ground, which I think is a really interesting way of putting it. We've come um, full circle. We're back at Rick Star Wars fan fiction. Uh huh. God, yeah. <laughs> Last episode of Unwise Girls. Um, and I feel like Rick Riordan saved all of his like writing action prowess for this final like scene, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's it, like I said, it's a clusterfuck, but it is clear we get like these individual snapshots of what everyone is doing in a way that is less like jumping around and more so makes it feel like a cohesive uh like these are everyone we know we've we've been with all of them and this is how they're fighting together it's Mm. fun we're still getting those moments of like humor it's not humorless we're getting like uh uh in leo doing silly shit we're getting aphrodite riding around on a fucking coop like a lucky two cloud uh we're and it's and most of all it just feels triumphant i guess like this is mm. one of the most triumphant battles i think we've ever had I, I i really really like it yeah this is maybe not necessarily a dig at it this is just kind of what i was thinking of while i was reading it but it very much feels like ripped straight from uh that the disney hercules movie yes like the the Olympians all kind of run in at the end and are like, uh, just like annihilating all of the Titans. And I feel like, I don't know, may, maybe I I am just like wanting this book to be something it's not. But I, whenever something like this happens, I feel like I'm always being a bit of a downer and being like, I kind of wanted this to be a bit kind of more bleak and desperate. I, I think it starts to get there near the end. Mm. Um. I, I think this is not the moment where it's going to happen, especially because this is literally the part where the fates bludgeon Thune to death. And like, we, we talked a lot about how we wanted to see like the fates themselves die and see them break yeah. that cycle break. 
Uh-huh. Remember when we thought that this was going to be one of the core conflicts of this book? No, it, it's not. There's a, there's a lot of things we thought were going to be the core conflict of this book. We thought Orion was going to be a big deal. Uh-huh, he kind of was. Uh, <laughs> he showed up twice. He showed up three times, I no, think. No, twice. Uh, okay, the first well, time well, with the wolf up- guy. <laughs> He showed up for a second at the wolf guy. We saw his like shadow. That's set up. That's that's the that's a that's that's one two three payoff. Uh-huh. Of course. So the action scene itself really works for me. I think the part that I like the most um, was Jason meeting Zeus. Yeah, this is this is I I like I like how quickly Jason's illusions about this guy are fucking shattered. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Because he's, like, Jason is talking about how, like, fighting with Zeus and Zeus, like, using his name and, like, acknowledging him as his son is, like, he he compares it to, like, getting his memories back at the end of Lost Heroes, just, like, this incredibly triumphant moment of, like, discovering who he is. And then he spends the next chapter realizing that Zeus is a fucking asshole. Yeah, I... I, this whole scene really got to me. Um, first of all, you're, I think the Zeus immediately shows his priorities off because uh, he's fighting Porphyrion with, with Jason and he says, uh, no throne for you, not here, not ever. Like, he, this is just him directly saying, like, the most important thing to me here is just keeping my status as king, right? Uh-huh. Um, and then... Then we get the more personal. They, they've defeated Porphyrion together in a, like, a really good, like, they, you know, Jason, like, leaps with him off the side. Zeus calls down a lightning bolt. It's 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 cool. It's uh, it's reminiscent of a lot of the, like, the Jason action scenes we've seen so far. But, like, mm-hmm. this time, instead of Jason, like, praying for Zeus to do something, they are working in tandem. Yeah. Um, and then we get the part that actually really got to me, which was... um. Zeus calls Jason his son. Zeus calls Jason his son. Not Jupiter, but Zeus. Uh, and that, I think that's the first, sort of one of the first time that first times that's happened. Like that sort mm-hmm. of like complete lack of dis- division between the Roman and Greek. And I think that's a great little nod. To just like yeah, they 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 did the thing. They they secured their victory by doing the Athena Parthenos thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we get to the first line that made me cry. <laughs> so. Yeah, this par- at the end of this paragraph, Zeus turned to Jason. His lightning bolt flickered off, and Zeus gri- clipped the celestial bronze rod to his belt. The god's eyes were stormy gray. His salt and pepper hair and his beard looked like stratus clouds. Jason found it strange that the lord of the universe, king of Olympus, was only a few inches taller than he was. And I... That last bit about, like, finding it strange that he's just a few inches taller than he was, I think there is so much depth in that single line um, Mm. that it really ended up hitting me. Like, first of all, Jason making this incredibly, like, human connection with his father for the first time. Uh, And it says a lot... And it says a lot about, like, his own growth. Like, he has grown, you know what I mean? Like, he stands... And like physically as well as just like I like we said he's had his arc, um, and he now stands you know toe to toe with his father, but also he never knew what his father like what what in what in his like small like human sized form how tall he appeared to be he never yeah. got to be with him right, mm-hmm. um, only meeting him now and they're not so far apart at all like this is a, I think this is just like one of those like single beautiful sentences in the book. I, I 
I really, really like. It's it's humanizing and also makes him realize that like his father is not this grand figure. He's just some guy. And I also I I think that's a really good point. And when you put it like that, it reminds me of um I think it's near the start of Lost Hero where Jason is put in the uh, Zeus camp at Camp Half Blood, uh, and he is like he's looking up at the giant fucking statue of Zeus in there. And being like, I don't know this guy. I have no idea anything about this guy who is apparently, like, who has conferred on me, like, everything that's important about me. And to, like, go from that to, oh, he's only a few inches taller than me, is, I think, like, it's a it's a good, like, capstone for Jason's arc, like, that goes from the beginning of the series right to the end. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, so I just really, really like that. And Zeus immediately, because he's Zeus, cuts it all off. He's, <laughs> oh, you know, you can't really be my, your hair is really, you know, I gave you up. I, you're so, you're a strong guy. So I kind of regret it, but you know, I, 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 I sold you to Hera. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that he immediately launches into that, mm-hmm. like, come on, man. It feels like defensive. Yeah. He has to spend time with Jason for the first time, and his immediate reaction is to, like, try and, like, mitigate their relationship and put distance between them. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. And this is a different, this is a deadbeat dad tactic. Like, I I don't know if it's quite (laughs) as advanced as Poseidon got sometimes, Uh, (laughs) but this is, is, we are returning to the well of, of the tactics, and he... I think defensive is a perfect word because that really also describes why a lot of Jason's behavior in the next chapter really gets to him, I think. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of, Poseidon is also on some deadbeat dad tactics in this in these chapters. Yeah. <laughs> right, do, do we want to get to it? Or? No, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. Because uh, he fucking... Uh, when Jason is, like, digging at Zeus about um, uh, the fact that he kind of wants to make sure that there's respect for all the gods... He's like, well, you know, I made my promise to uh, Kimopoleia, and Zeus fucking looks around and is like, who? who? Who are you talking about? And Poseidon like awkwardly coughs and is like, ah, oh, she's one of mine. And like, <laughs> what a you have not had. acknowledged this fucking child in thousands of years. You have not even told your family about her. God. Yeah. <laughs> literally the exact... We were talking about this before. She's literally just the demigod in, like, status. Yeah. Like, it's the same sort of like discretion, like uh, yeah, I guess that's a kid that I had that they do with the demigods. Yeah, she she's being treated like they treat fucking Percy or Tyson or any of their like wayward children. Yeah, God, uh, the the gods are up to some weird stuff in general at this assemblage. Uh, what- the uh the 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 battle horniness seems to be getting to a couple of them. I like that that adrenaline shock that hits you, I guess. It must be said that in chapter L, of all things... L. Uh, Jason. L. J. L. Hermes. Uh, Hermes <laughs> sneaked closer to Athena, attempting to put his arm around her. Athena turned her Aegis shield to him and he scuffled off. What the fuck is happening there? Why is Hermes doing this? Why is he, like, hitting on Athena? <laughs> it's uh, fa- a- fa- Famously, the relationships between uh, Hermes kids and uh, Athena kids work out super well. Uh huh. I so obviously I, they're a match made in Olympus. I guess I just don't really. Has Hermes been like, oh yeah, that Athena? I really love that babe. Or something. I don't think like, so. I don't think this has come up before. I guess battle horniness, like you said, it's just a thing. I am like I'm picturing him as like Nathan Fillion Hermes from uh, the Sea of Monsters movie. As this is happening, 
Like, I think that gives the appropriate level of skeeviness. You see him as Nathan Fillion. I I was imagining just, like, the weird kind of skeevy Hermes from the mo- from the Hercules, like you said earlier. <laughs> God, yeah. Yeah, Zeus, Zeus is really on one here. Zeus is absolutely going off at everyone for something that is definitely at least partially his fault. No, it's all Hera's fault, you see, for being so <laughs> such a such an uppity woman. I like he's kind, like okay, it's almost all of this is all Hera's fault, right? But uh. <laughs> Zeus can't be the fucking one to say it. The yeah, and the the fucking way that Zeus says it, where he is like bellowing and screaming at her and Jason is like noticing that Hera looks like visibly frightened of him yeah is like really fucking uncomfortable to read we are getting a lot of recurring things of like uh just like abusive like uh just like husbands and parents and stuff I mean abusive parents have been a theme in like this whole series but like specifically like bad relationships in that way this will come up later in these chapters yeah but hey, it's not just Hera that he's absolutely fucking livid with. I mean, Apollo, to be fair, like you said in the summary, Apollo did try and overthrow him and destroy all the world a little bit. Apollo, yeah, Apollo did technically plot against him and try to do a little a little bit of a palace coup. Now, the thing that Zeus is probably going to respond to that with is just eternal lightning damnation, incinerating you forever disease. <laughs> uh well, 1,000 Master Spark combo, but Jason Jason takes his responsibility as, like, the, uh, I don't remember what it is. Like, I don't think it was quite Augur, but it was something kind of like No, it was that. a different thing. I don't remember what it was. A Pontifex. Pontifex. That was it. Jason's taking that role as Pontifex seriously because he stands up for Apollo here. Uh, he's, like, he notices, like, hey, Apollo, you know, he kind of, like, he he's making himself look like a teenager right now to make himself look more pathetic but also it really it does remind (laughs) me that we are like uh siblings uh and so he like he's like you know i have to i have to really fight against zeus here on this one i i think that jason is maybe like he's he's got a kernel of a good idea here and has gone in the wrong direction Uh uh-huh where he's like well this isn't entirely apollo's fault so you shouldn't punish him uh, when actually what the case is, this is most of their faults to a greater or lesser degree, and they all kind of deserve a kicking over this. Yeah. No, Jason and is not I guess not he on can't that. really say that. Jason's not on that line at all. <laughs> uh, he also, you're right, Zeus would blast him out of the air, out of the sky, immediately. <laughs> um, but he, uh, Jason, Jason, the guy who we again have described as like, he will do anything, he'll be sent on whatever mission by whatever god, uh, he, you know, had that sort of arc with Percy for a little bit there, like with like them fighting in the, the uh, arena. Mm-hmm. There's this bit where it's like he notices that Zeus is like starting to get miffed with him, and the line is, "A good Roman wouldn't keep talking." Next line, Jason immediately keeps talking. I really like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's very good. And then he, before the entire assemblage of gods, calls Zeus unwise let's fucking go let's fucking go this is like the promise of the podcast paying off (laughs) we thought we were just playing off of one like kind of shippy like pet name that one character had for another no actually it's this was the plan all along maybe a key thematic component of all of the heroes of olympus like 
this was <laughs> this is our master stroke uh sort of coming out on the 11th hour i mean to be fair i would say that one thing that defines all of these books is the gods being extremely fucking unwise oh absolutely <laughs> so zeus zeus is also like he's yelling about some shit in these chapters that kind of confuses me a little mm-hmm. where he basically he um says that Hera and Apollo have, like, caused this entire situation by, like, revealing the prophecy and then acting on it, like, as quickly as they did, like, made the events of the prophecy happen. And I am... I I can't quite tell if that gels with how we've dealt with prophecy in this series so far. Uh, And if this is indeed how it works, I'm not sure why the fuck they did that. (laughs) I wasn't sure either. Here's my thought. Um, Mm -hmm. Here's how I ended up squaring it. Because, honestly, at first, when Zeus said, um, Zeus said, you prematurely revealed a prophecy that may yet destroy us all, I assumed that was, like, some different prophecy that we hadn't heard about yet. Like, Mm. it just didn't quite match with what we'd heard about, like, the prophecy of Seven or whatever. I think I think Apollo mentioned when uh, uh, Leo went to meet him that like one of the things that Zeus was pissed off at him about was that. Yes, like I I just it, it didn't quite square I guess with mm-hmm. how I felt that it was presented immediately. Yeah, I think we're seeing a little bit of like maybe like passivity versus activity here. Hmm. Like for the most part, I feel like the gods are happy to be incredibly passive and like think of the nature of like their role in the cycle and all that is just something that needs to continue the way it is for as long as it can zeus's whole response to this crisis originally was to just like shut up olympus and not take any messages and just hope that everything would be fine yeah whereas apollo and hera are more doing like active things they are going out into the world they are interacting with mortals uh and i i feel like that's kind of where the division lies mm-hmm. because like it's a little bit of the classic Prometheus thing, right? Like, oh, you gave these mortals knowledge of the prophecy, get your fucking liver pecked out, right? <laughs> it's a it's a classic Zeus move. It it is very much uh, a Zeus move. I was also, I I was like weighing the possibility in my mind that maybe like Apollo, um, like re- prematurely revealed the prophecy on purpose to like. Because the, the Titan War had just ended and Olympus was all fucked up. And, like, you know, we, we know that he has kind of ambitions at taking the throne. And I was wondering if maybe he was, like, trying to destabilize Olympus so that he could do that. On the other hand, Apollo also seems like a dipshit, and I don't know that I credit him with being smart enough to do that. Apollo seems like a dipshit, but in the way that, like, you know that he is going to secretly, like, when we get to his inter- internality, like, he is going to be a bit of a schemer. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. he he does seem like that type i wouldn't be surprised if that's something that gets revealed like in a conversation near the end of this book or like at some point in the trials of apollo yeah i i i, I hope so just because other other than that i can't think of any motivation for like the them doing this because if, mm-hmm. if this prophecy thing works as well as it works as zeus like says it does then why would you not just kick the can down the road for as long as you can yeah, and I think this also speaks to another theme in this chapter, which is, like, blame, like, the role mm. of blame in, like, I guess a family, uh, <laughs> and w- when it serves a purpose versus when it is just sort of pointless, I think that is, like, a big part of all of this, uh, and I feel like Zeus is creating reasons to blame people, like, for things that he just as easily could have done but didn't, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that? Uh, like all, all this talk of like blame and like, you, we don't need to blame anyone. You know, it's, I guess we sort of got at it with like, ever, it's actually everyone's fault, but we can't blame everyone because that's the I, series. Yeah. I, that's, that's kind of where I land on it. It was, it feels very like self-serving of the yeah. cause to be like, well, you know, this was nobody's fault really. Yes, it was. <laughs> you yeah. all fucked up. And I guess, I guess for Jason, who is, he, his role he is aspiring to is the guy who makes sure all the gods are appeased like not necessarily that like justice is served or anything yeah that's kind of the more negative eye toward that role i guess like on one (laughs) hand he's making sure they're all represented on the other hand well they're still the gods we get back to that the people he's representing are assholes Aphrodite says we need you mortal mortals as much as you need us, which I don't think has come up quite in that way since Dionysus and Percy had their like Pac-Man conversation. I the, the Pac-Man conversation I think very much implied that the gods need the mortals a hell of a lot more than the mortals need the gods. Yeah. Cause like we, we do have this like especially in PGO, this like abstract idea that like if the gods die, like the like ideals that hold quote unquote civilization together will kind of fade away and everything will collapse. But, like, you know, we, we never see that in, like, a more concrete way. Whereas yeah. we, we very much have an idea of why the gods need the mortals. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I read that and I'm like, okay, so you don't need the mortals? Like, like <laughs> because I don't know if they need you necessarily. Uh, this is, like, a, we, we've gotten to a section that i think has just wrapped around to a lot of the themes that we've been talking about this whole book and this whole series and i think that's part of what makes it so like uh like it grabs me so much yeah that makes sense then there's a big slappy there is a big slap also i just want to point out that like to speaking further to jason just being like the guy who's trying to appease everyone uh is he says my point is that blaming each other isn't going to solve anything that's how the romans and greeks got divided in the first place no, it's not. The Trojan War was. Yeah, I guess you could say that that's blaming someone. And blaming maybe each he's other talk- for taking Helen of Troy, I guess. Maybe he's talking about the Athena Parthenos thing more, where like the Greeks blamed the Romans for something that they did Stealing actually their do. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> so no, Jason's talking about nonsense here. You're right. Yeah. Uh, no, this is bullshit. He's he's the ultimate. He's become the ultimate. Like everyone needs to calm down, guy. Uh, <laughs> and maybe that's I don't know. Maybe that's an evolution. Before we talk about the big slappy, uh, I want to know, Jane. You you were a bit less high in these chapters than I was. Was there anything in these sections specifically that you wanted to call out negatively that you haven't gotten to? Uh, I think I we've kind of talked about it already, but just like the way that it really does feel like the uh, the idea of the fates is being set up early in this book is like a you know apollo's lost his powers the giants are talking about killing the fates they've taken over the oracle at delphi and even talk about like the big monster that they've put in there i think it just doesn't come up at all until the fates show up and like fucking beat this guy up with their handbags mm-hmm. i just it's, i don't it... know it feels it feels like it was teeing up for something and then rick just forgot to do it yeah, it feels like um, I've been listening to this podcast called Wobegon recently, uh, mm. which is really it's really good. It's fun. It's like a sort of a horror sci fi thing, uh, but because it's like made every week, uh, 
by like one guy a lot of the time it's like a plot thread gets set up uh in like an episode from six weeks ago and then the season ends and it's like wait what happened to that plot thread it's like uh and uh a character mentioned that that happened but it actually wasn't important and it's like okay i guess that's fine you make this show every week i get it it's like i i get it you drop plot threads you're a writer it happens you're making these books every year but it feels like such a like disappointment i guess like okay why even include that in the first place it again is one of those things that makes me feel like, again, I don't think that this has this book has the center as bad as something like Sea of Monsters, but this book does feel a bit rushed, and like it maybe could have done with another draft. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a it's much better than Sea of Monsters in that way. Like I think. Oh yeah. Just because Rick Riordan has gotten better at writing over time, I think he's probably. found his groove. He can produce a better, you know, not final draft. <laughs> Uh, and then we get uh, Zeus's big volleyball spike. I do. I do think this is very funny. <laughs> it's incredibly funny. Just this incredibly intense conversation. Uh, like it seems like Zeus might. There's a bit where Jason's like, as when Zeus turned his attention away from me, I realized that it had felt like my head was in a microwave the whole time, <laughs> uh, which simultaneously is just like kind of scary and also like damn that really is how it feels when you're arguing with like your dad sometimes uh god yeah and then he then jason's like oh man i don't really know how we're gonna get back to the to camp half blood and zeus is like well i could slap you there and they have to be like they have to figure out that he's not just threatening them with violence he is being serious i like that everyone just buys that this is something he would do Uh uh-huh everyone's like (laughs) of course zeus's famous slap He's he's famously a huge dickhead. When he's like, when it looks like he's squaring up with Jason, like Percy is like shuffling closer to Jason. Also, as a detail that I love. Yeah. It's like he's he's fucking ready to throw down with this guy. He has had, like, he's had a problem with Zeus since Lightning Thief. He's ready to go. Absolutely, Percy. Percy should have gotten at least one shot, and I wish he had. <laughs> Uh, and then what follows is like an, a, this incredibly intense sequence where I, this, the Argo 2 fucking explodes and Le- Leo goes down with the ship. The Argo 2 gets fucking smacked on like uh, a suborbital arc because like Jason mentioned that like the sky goes black. So like he, they got smacked high enough into the atmosphere that that happened. Oh God, yeah. Uh, and then it fucking like screams back into camp half blood they land in a sort of a more classic rick riordan uh like big army fight scene yeah we are we are truly back in son of neptune town for um for for this uh bit of the battle it's it's okay it's not as good as i think the part with the gods and the demigods fighting uh Mm. side by side like it's it's still clear and like I don't know, just better written than most of these usually are. But I think the part for me that I really like from this is just like the little emotional character bits. Mm. Uh, Jason seeing Nico and feeling it like, uh, like being like he's alive. Like I have that late weight lifted off my shoulders. Uh, him immediately doing like a battlefield assessment and like immediately being like, okay, we have to like protect the quote. Like those cohorts are over there are in danger. We need to protect them. Uh, mm-hmm. Raida and Piper's banter. 
See, I read this and I was like, it's kind of like Jason being shocked that these two are getting along so well together. Uh, and I, I am once again like, ah, Piper has made a friend, a, a lady friend, and we have just seen none of the process of that happening. Well, I I feel like we saw of this what we could because they weren't actually together for that long. I know. I, I wouldn't care about this if the thing with Hazel hadn't come up so many times. That's the thing. Uh, especially because Piper's amazing sword skills do get brought up here. Um, <laughs> when she's fighting uh, the, the, the lady giant, it's it's very, like, it's fine that she has sword skills now, but just it always reminds me of her many, many amazing heartfelt conversations with hazel right off screen Dur- during their uh their intense training montages with their swords that were happening just out of shot while jason and leo were talking about some bullshit speaking of hazel is like non-existent in these chapters truly she fucking i i like the um the the, the one thing that she does get is the like when uh, everyone else is like running around with their godly parents killing the giants uh she's chilling out with hecate because, uh, you know, Hades can't come up there. Uh, he's just kind of, like, dropping people into hell when they die. Uh, so she has, like, her magical god patron with her. Would have been, you know, would have maybe hit a bit better if, like, Hazel had gotten more focus in the last book with, like, her journey of becoming a magician, but whatever. Yeah. Just, like, word by word, as I'm reading it, I'm like, hell yeah, Hazel and Hecate, they're, you know, Hecate's light and shit on fire, it's awesome. But that's it's it, it doesn't have the impact that it could you know what i mean i kind of feel like hazel's gotten shafted in this series i like her as a character but she's not gotten a lot to do that's yeah that's exactly right like the last book and this book especially she's just been such a non-character for so much of them uh and the that, book before that, that really was a love triangle bullshit with leo and frank yeah rick riordan does not know what to do with her i don't think and that's i don't think just, so he has fumbled her character so badly, and I just Which wish is that was weird, not true. Because she's uh-huh. such a like a conceptually interesting character of having the like, I mean, it's kind of similar to Nico, but like she comes, she also comes from the past, but like from a completely different country and context. It was like I don't know, there there was more she, that could be done with her. She should be able to have interesting dynamics with so many of these characters. She and Nico should have been talking. Uh, Jason and Rick- her are both removed from time in a really interesting way. Rick Ryden fucking hates to have uh, characters who are siblings spend time together. Yeah, he does. We get no Jason and Thalia. We get no fucking Nico and Hazel. Oh, it's awful. Uh, we do get... I, and I want to say specifically about this sort of banter between Raina and Piper... Like, it's good because it is very much like girls will talk like this. Like, they're doing, they're like, oh, help yourself, madam. Like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Like, uh, but the thing that Reyna is saying is help yourself to some barbarians. Yeah, that's fucked up. That's a fucked up thing to say. I, I guess we need to be reminded that she is like the Roman weirdo, but. <laughs> I'm glad that we're still, once again, we're just like. Leaning real hard into that, like we are, we are the civilized ones fighting back against the hordes of non non Romans, non Western ones. Truly, I also uh, the fact that uh, kind of uh, related to this, when the giants are all killed, uh, I think it mentions that like all that's left is like steaming uh, puddles of melted celestial bronze and some like singed dreadlocks. Uh yeah, I do. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, God. Thanks, Rick. 
Thank you, Rick Riordan. Love this. Fuck Wait, off. Um, <laughs> God. Um, Gaia showing up and her skin being as white as quartz was uh, an, an interesting, uh, I think, descriptor to me. It's weird, because wouldn't her skin just be quartz? Wouldn't you just say that? <laughs> I feel like we've had, like, descriptions of her face showing up before and it being like she's the color of the dirt, right? Yeah, yeah. So is it just like now that she's taken a human form, she has white skin? I I, I guess I want to read this charitably and maybe be like, maybe maybe Rick Ryan is even trying to dodge that by being like, well, look, she can show up in any. I'm not trying to specifically racialize this character, but That's I also fair. don't know if he's self-aware enough to do that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, do you like the bit where... Uh... The the Romans are like Ave Rome, fucking like uh, like uh, march forward Legion, and Percy tries to do the same thing, but realizes <laughs> the Greeks don't have a organized structure like that. Which is weird, because surely the Greeks would get in a fucking phalanx at this point. You would think so, but good old, instead... good old phalanx never fails. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they should have. I really wish they had. Um, Clarice should be the one leading the bat, leading the charge. Really, she but really should be. I I do I, like Jason. Uh, go ahead, please. I was also thinking while reading this, like the, I get why the Romans are like shouting commands in Latin, and I guess like there is that thing about the the demigods having like ADHD because their brains are wired for Greek and Latin. But also, it seems like really confusing if you are like shouting your battle command in a different language. Uh huh. I, I would simply I, say fire the bows in English because that's what most of the people there speak. I I have to assume this is some world where not only are they all completely like bilingual, um, mm-hmm. they also like don't have to do any like they they don't have to do any switching in their brain at all from one language to the other. Like it, it's completely like they may as well be the same language to them, uh, mm. like. I have to assume they're living in fucking Star Trek, like, auto-translator brain. But I also don't so, think that's true because of how many jokes in this series uh, someone says the name of a thing and then someone says it sounds like fucking tacos or something. Yeah. Leo or no, Percy will be like, no, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't know what that is. Definitely. Uh, and what do you think? I guess it feels like over time we've gotten, like, the Greeks, like, not being as organized we talked about this in like oh you know they're like the weird wandering heroes but they at some point they had like some sort of organizational structure but now we have jason here being like oh those those funny greeks like they don't really have any sort of organized force but they're they're they've really gotten enthusiasm to them and that's why i like them and yeah that's just like straight up not true (laughs) like i I read battle of the labyrinth and last olympian rick ryden you can't fucking erase those from my brain (laughs) Uh-huh. Like I, I get, I get the idea that like is trying to like, because that's kind of the parallel that uh, the the divide. Sorry, that's like been drawn especially by the Romans. Like, yeah, those fucking Gracchus weirdos who are just kind of like wandering heroes. But also, that's that's just not like who Camp Halfblood have been in previous battles. Not really, no. And I guess we could take this as just like Jason's point of view, right? Like, I guess so. He is, even though he's like, I belong to both camps, he still looks at Camp Halfblood and is like, oh, those silly Greeks with their, like, non-Roman <laughs> organizational structure that I can't really, I I can simply see is somewhat childish. I don't know, maybe, maybe he's looking at a phalanx and being like, why are they banging all the shields together? That's stupid. They're, they're so enthusiastic. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, 
And then this chapter ends with one of the coolest uh, bits of the book. It's Leo and Fess just, just fucking Gaia showing up to make her big proclamation, immediately getting plucked off the ground by Leo and Festus. Yeah, see, I'm torn on this because, like, on the one hand, yeah, it absolutely rips the, like, you know, Festus fucking emerges from, uh, like, the wreckage of the Argo as, like, a fully repaired, fully formed dragon. On the other hand, I feel like we're going back to the well of something that was, like, that was, like, one of our big problems with House of Hades was, like, the, the like, kind of almost existential cosmic horror of, like, how big and overwhelming these primordial gods were, uh, kind of being really badly undercut by it later, just that person just being, like, a dude. And Gaia just That's being, true. like, a person that you can grab with a dragon and toss in the air. That's true. Yeah, it's... In a way, Gaia seems almost, like, less intimidating in this respect than, uh... Who was it? Not Nyx, but, uh... Tartarus, I think. Tartarus. Yeah, Nyx seems... Or Gaia seems a bit less intimidating than Tartarus, who is just this all-consuming force. And there's mm. a little bit of that here. I don't want to say that there's none of that. I think that, like, the Earth just, like changing under everyone's feet in like this incredibly drastic way when she appears uh what ends up working here is like this fight feels like there's a lot of huge power happening Mm -hmm. even like i think in the moment reading it even if you look even though you might look back on it and say like well she wasn't so tough i mean i read it and was thinking she wasn't so tough no that's fair (laughs) more so i just mean to say like Moment to moment, and feel it still feels intense. Yeah, yeah. Like I think it still matches the intensity of like a final boss fight or what have you. I mean, that's kind of my my problem with it is that it feels like we have to turn her into uh, someone with a health bar that we can hack down. That's true. That's really true. Like I. But I also get yeah. what you're saying as well. Like there, there is still like, she doesn't she doesn't feel like a complete chump, like in the way that some of the giants have during their final battles. Mm hmm. I it's difficult. I, I think you're completely right. And I also think that like this series picks and chooses when to lean into that classic like mythology thing of like, yeah, the earth is the earth, but the earth is also just like a person. Uh, yeah. Like Uranus is the entire sky, but also it's just a guy that can be tied down. Right. Yeah. Uh, like it tends to lean toward that more often than not. But it can when it's these big series ending villains feel a little bit like, all right, well, what are we doing here? You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's weird because I feel like this was something that uh, Rick had kind of cracked last series was like Kronos was this like really fucking like he lived in a pit. He was basically like just a voice in the darkness who like fucked with time and stuff. And his human form was like possessing Luke. And like you got you got to see this like incredibly horrible process of him like taking control of that body over time and that like gave a real reason for him to have like a physical form that Percy could punch in the face yeah and now it feels like every time we have a god we need them to have a physical form they can punch in the face yeah yeah and that's that's a bit disappointing right that that's sort of just become a pattern at the same time rick riordan does well and i think ending this with piper jason and leo because that is like that's where the fight with gaia started and that's where it's ending right i do i do like that this is like one last ride for the lost hero crew i think that's just 
it's nice. I feel like these kind of spin-off series are always at a risk of like descending into like fan wank of like people's favorite characters from the older stuff. And I like that the, these three get that kind of respect put on them. Yeah, they are. They're the they're the main trio for this series, and it's yeah. coming down to that in the end. I really I appreciate that. I trying to square away some of what's said here about like the powers we need to really defeat Gaia, storm, fire, and like the powerful words of humanity. I guess, uh, like we need storm, fire, and charm. Speak. I'm trying to like. I understand this on a basic level of like, yeah, we need to put her back to sleep, right? Because um, it's easier but, to kill her when she's asleep. Yeah, but also, is there like something to be said here for like, yeah, storms and fires and humanity? Like, is this something to do with like these are the things that are that are like destroy the earth and like this is a climate change thing, sort of? I, I don't know if it is, because that would mean this book is kind of coming down as pro-climate change. Which... We're joining the battle against climate change <laughs> on the side of climate change. <laughs> which, I, you know, we ragged on Rick Ryden for a lot of things, but I, I think he's been very, like, vocally anti-climate change, if anything, in these books. I suppose that's true. I that's That was the only way I could really read it, I guess. But you, I guess it can also just be, like, the fucking elemental types that they have are well versed against her i guess if you wanted to take a really unsympathetic reading of it you could be like piper being the key is like humanity taming nature with civilization yeah i think that's going too far probably we're, yeah, we're kind probably of going in nonsense territory at this point i th- i think it might just be a case of these were the original three characters rick wanted to let them have the final shot at gaia as the series villain and these are the powers they happen to have and I think that's kind of all we need at the end, right? Yeah. Uh, Piper's Gambit, you know, she she does her charm speak thing. Uh, she says, oh, you're so tired. You're so sleepy. You're so sad. You were so abused by your husband. I, this shit. Uh-huh. He keeps, we can't keep letting him get away with this. Uh-huh. This is a consistent pattern now with Rick Ryden, like, taking a, a villainous female figure from mythology who was like, abused in that original story and like bringing that into the context of uh like pjo and being like yeah it was really fucked up what happened to this person she's still a completely unsympathetic evil villain though and we still had to kill her but you know real fucked up what happened and not really examining that (laughs) this is a really common pattern honestly because especially because like I think it goes a step beyond and I think Rick Riordan sometimes inserts a bit of this in to make it like two characters who are supposed to be unsympathetic like mm-hmm. I don't maybe this is like a thing but off the top of my head when I think of like the stories of Gaia and Dorada I don't immediately think of like the abused Gaia like you know what I, like that, I don't know any so I'm gonna have to take your word for it I guess I don't either but I feel like I would have heard about that if that was a prominent part of that mythology if so it's it's very funny that Rick's reaction was to insert that and then immediately have the heroes, like, knock her out and then set her on fire. They glass her. <laughs> oh my god. Um, But also, this kind of goes back to Medusa. I was yeah. doing some more reading about Medusa recently, and there wasn't actually anything in the original Greek myth about her being abused. Wait, really? Apparently this is, like, maybe, like, an addition... I feel like I read that it was like an addition around like Roman times, perhaps. Uh, All right. 
but like in like the earliest records of the story it was just like there there was no like poseidon as this sort of like fucked up guy in the in the story well was it was it truly that medusa simply used to date percy's daddy i think it might have just been that she dated (laughs) percy's daddy and (laughs) well i guess actually rick riordan didn't put that in the series then so he just wanted to over time yeah no actually because i i think like at the time we were like it kind of seems weird that like Rick just completely removed this part of the story. I guess now we have to like issue a correction and be like, no, actually, it, I guess he was right. He was right, and then he was like, but Kamapalea, we need to make sure that we know the Briar is forced marriage. Uh huh. And there's probably more examples I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh oh, the fucking uh, the labyrinth lady. Oh my god. Yeah. Why is this a big pattern now? I I honestly wonder if it's. I can't tell if it's like supposed to be commenting on something or if it is just that like a lot a lot of these stories about women from Greek mythology do involve them being abused in some way or another, and like he he's not sure about like entirely removing that detail and sanitizing it because that would feel weird, but also doesn't really like have a way to like grapple with it properly. Yeah, I I think there's a core issue that I think that there is like a a deeper problem than we could probably get at here than uh. With just like how these books are conceptualized at that point. Yeah. Again, this this gets to the thing of like you would have to be like, well, maybe the the world of Greek myths is fundamentally fucked up and ruled by people who are like perpetuating something absolutely hideous going on all the time. Uh, and then you would once again arrive at the only possible solution being killing the Olympians, which Rick Ryden does not want to arrive at. Yeah. Do we want to talk about those ends? We should. Leo sacrificing himself i I'll, I'll i'll it was my second cry of the reading this time much harder i really like this i think this is a sad but i don't know like really effectively put down like section uh hey leo grinned which was unnerving the flames his teeth like molten silver ingots i told you i had a plan when are you gonna trust me and by the way i love you guys that's <sighs> The explosion turned the entire sky gold. I, it really got me. See, this is this is one of the things I didn't like about these chapters was that I, okay. I feel like so, something must have gone wrong somewhere because I really like Leo as a character and I feel like reading his death should have hit me way harder than it did. That's fair. I, I don't know. I think maybe one of the problems is like we this happens like just after a Leo death fake out is the thing. Yeah. Because, like, he disappears over the horizon with the Argo for, like, a couple of pages while the fighting is going on, and, like, oh, maybe he didn't make it, and, like, Nico and Jason are, like, for Leo as they charge in. Uh, and then Leo comes back immediately after, and then dies again. <laughs> and I, I, I think... don't know. I, I think it's because, like, I, I initially didn't really believe that he was dead, that it kind of, like, sucked away a lot of the impact for me. <laughs> I think, okay, I'll say that it's less the death itself and more just the, like, I love you guys. I think that's... Yeah. No, that's sweet. For Leo as a character who, he is, like, a lot of this series has been him growing emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is sort of another, like, we are getting the end of that character arc. I don't know if I know that he's dead yet either. Like, we still haven't really thought about the physician's cure yet, so... Well, I, my assumption was that the physician's cure was used to revive Festus. 
Oh, oh yeah. Because he tips it into the inner workings of the ship and now Festus is back. So I assume that's what he's used it for. I wasn't sure. Yeah, that that's really possible too. I I guess because Jason was like, he must have built a second body for him and that's why he was working so hard. I assume that was part of it, but I guess I, I, I assume that was the simple explanation and like we hadn't, like maybe the physician's cures for something else, but I guess I'm not sure at this point. It's kind of up in the air. Yeah, I, I mean, there are bits of this I like. I mean, like you were saying about, like, Leo growing emotionally and especially, like, dropping that kind of veil of, like, detached irony that he always has. Yeah. Uh, there's, like, the moment where he's, like, hurling fireballs at um, Gaia and he's calling her, like, Mudface and Pebble Mouth and that. And then he kind of, like, breaks down halfway through doing that and it's just like, this is for my mother, you piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Even if not necessarily a, like, I don't know that this would be a satisfying end to the character, yeah. uh, which is why I hope it's not. I think that this is a satisfying end to his character arc. Um, mm. Just like that emotional character, not the death itself, but just the way that he expresses his feelings in his final moments. Yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know. We still have six chapters left, so let's see how it goes. This is true. Anything else you want to say before we wrap it up, Jane? I I don't know about these chapters. I, I like I can see on paper why you like them so much and why you've kind of come off them so high. And I just I I think it might just be like I may be getting hung up on a lot of the little things that are kind of tripping me up a bit. Yeah. That's fair. I you've you've sort of brought me down off my like completely positive <laughs> oh, no, horse. No. No. This is the opposite no, of what fine. I wanted to happen. Hey, sometimes usually I'm the one who I I help you onto the horsey. This time I, you're helping me off of the horsey. I'm and dragging you off the the horsey into the dirt down on my level. <laughs> we're mud wrestling. It's fine. Uh, and the the like, I still like these a lot. I think you're completely valid for having all these complaints. And like, I think you're also completely right in most of them as the thing. Um, <laughs> it's just that I was. The, there were a lot of things that I ended up sidestepping around in my reading experience. It's just like, eh, I'm t- kind of tired on the bus. I, I, I'm mostly <laughs> enjoying it, so I'll just pass through. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that makes uh, sense. And, but I, I, I still completely agree with, mo- with like most of your points. And I think that like, this is a strong emotional ending. I don't know how satisfying it is for like, the big plot of it all. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. Like, I think some of the characters are being served pretty well by this. Not all. I, th- thematically and plot-wise, I feel like I'm I'm left wanting a little bit. I also feel like one of the one of the problems this book is increasingly having for me is that like the specter of Last Olympian is hanging over it. Uh huh. Like, I I don't think the Last Olympian was a perfect book by any stretch, but I think it like. As a final chapter, it like felt kind of like it's you know it still felt like a Percy Jackson book. It still had like humor and silliness and stuff to it, but it felt like dark and desperate in like the right ways to feel like the a truly like I don't know exciting and suspenseful finale. Whereas the, this book, I think, despite you know heading towards the end of a lot of stuff, it never really feels like uh, the stakes have been raised in that way. It kind of feels like we're still yeah. trucking along with the same Heroes of Olympus pace. I completely see what you mean. Yeah. I, and I think to an extent, like, once Rick Riordan uncorked that in The Last Olympian, it was hard to go back. Um, yeah, definitely. 
like the last Olympian was a huge war in all of like New York City. Um or well in Manhattan, I guess, specifically the Battle mm-hmm. of Manhattan. But after that, we kind of stayed on a pretty similar level, right? Like Yeah. We, we we've been at big war, big battle, uh, over and over again. And a lot of like a lot in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, a lot of them didn't have a big battle in that way. Uh, there, I think I so, mean the having a big battle was so significant the Battle of the Labyrinth was named after having it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the Mark of Athena is pretty strong for not having that. Um, yeah. And House of Hades too for the most part. And I think Rick Riordan just hasn't figured out how to meaningfully up the stakes in any way except for like let's deliver on these characters and he isn't delivering on all the characters. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the next six chapters are fucking transcendental and will completely turn us around on this. They could be. I, and you know, I still like this. I, I think that my last thing I'll say is that like, as far as like it being relatively bloodless, I think I've just had to accept that. <laughs> like, yeah, I think this is basically just a, a one carrot. Our sacrificial lamb, like we said, is going to die and then we're, we'll move on. Maybe there'll be a couple more casualties that we'll hear about afterwards, but eh. I, I have to wonder if someone told him to tone it down. It's possible. Because <laughs> there's just, I don't know, again, to go back to Last Olympian, there's been nothing in this, nothing in this, like, final, final chapter, like, as fucking harrowing as, like, Percy realizing he accidentally killed one of the other campers. And as far as that, like, Rick Riordan has developed a hussy-esque, rolling-esque <laughs> reputation for being, like, the dastardly author who kills characters at this point. Yeah. Is that deserved? I don't know that it is. There was a lot of, like, harrowing stuff in uh, House of Hades, right? Mm. But uh, it was either this book or the last book where Rick Riordan literally did his, like, dedication and was like, "Uh, to all my listeners, sorry for that cliffhanger, not, ha, 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 I'm going to kill everyone, basically. Uh, I think it was House of Hades where he said that. Yeah. Also, very and, funny that you have imagined like Rick Ryden calling the people reading his books listeners. Fuck me. Oh, God. <laughs> we. I'm a fool, but. <laughs> unwise. I'm quite unwise. Rick Ryden also unwise for any choices he's made. And I have to say, I, I don't know. Maybe this. Maybe I'll have a quite the unwise ending as well, positive. I, I hope so. The, the, uh, what I, I will. My, my eternal asterisk to most of my bitching about this series at this juncture is like, this isn't Kane Chronicles. I'm not like kicking it to that extent. I still like these. Kane Chronicles we criticized because we didn't like reading it. Yeah, um, exactly. Heroes of Olympus we're criticizing a lot because I think we're enjoying it. And there are things that could be a lot better but aren't. There's potential there. And there was potential in Kane Chronicles too, but we kind of had to stretch a lot more to see it, I feel like. Definitely. Uh, well, I think that might be we should it. Just stop dissecting today. this. Yeah, that that'll <laughs> be it for us today. Next time we might finish the entire book, possibly. We'll figure it out. We'll either do six chapters or we'll do four next week, then two in a wrap up episode. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. You'll, I guess, yeah. you'll see when it hits your feed. <laughs> uh, but for now. Our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by right. Space Pony. Fuck. Not to set. <laughs> Not to set. Not to set.
Not so uh, sad. Uh, who's not so sad, Jane? Uh, I think uh, my pick for this week uh, is that you know the gods are all kind of shuffling around. They're all being horny little weirdos. Uh, Hermes, you know, he's sneaking close to Athena, trying to put his arm around her. It also notes that uh, Nike is trying to put a golden laurel wreath on Hecate's head, but the goddess of magic swatted it away. Uh, and I think uh, Nike is also being a bit of a Hermes here. I like that. I like that. I like like <laughs> uh, like horny sports lesbian Nike. That's awesome. <laughs> I wish I'd said that. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Is there something to be said for Zeus, uh, like doing a bit of BDSM stuff with the four winds, <laughs> sort of binding them in that way? Man, he he sure does put some bridles on them and make them ride around for him. Uh huh. I think he might I be guess... onto something here. Zeus, unfortunately, I guess is my pick for this week. <laughs> Listen, just because they're not cishet doesn't mean they're good people. I guess that's true. Uh, not cishet, not good. <laughs> Quite unwise. Our intro and outro for this week is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Ainsmith underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Network Podcast. You can find us at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. If you want to find us, you can go to Twitter, co-host Tumblr, at UnwiseGirls, where we've got links to our Discord server, our email, updates when episodes go up, visual companions on occasion, and more. Also, if you want to support us, you can leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of a choice. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, you can tell a friend about us. That's probably the most helpful thing, actually. Or if you mm-hmm. want to help us very directly, go to patreon.com slash UnwiseGirls and for a dollar a month you can get the discord role of camp counselor for three dollars a month you can get the discord role of friend of bacchus as well as all of our bonus content uh we are still continuing our trek through the uh candy route of the homestuck epilogues uh if you if you want to listen to us talking about some of the most absolutely rancid shit we have ever had to read while doing any kind of podcasting if the idea of listening to us suffer like that sounds fun to you uh, and if you also want us to still somehow come out the other end being like, yeah, th- this was kind of good, actually. We kind of like what these are saying. Uh, if you if that experience appeals to you, subscribe to the Patreon. Do it. Also, uh, for $5 a month, you can get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Isle of Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye. ghosts what about monsters or haunted houses evil furniture stores cannibalism doppelgangers childhood mysteries that involve a strange cult or a scary clown if you answered yes to any of the above 
you may be eligible to become a patron at the Dead Letter Society's Library of Terrors. Dead Letter Society is a book club podcast about horror, mysteries, thrillers, and all genre of things that go bump in the night. Every episode, me, Marn, and my wife Alyssa pick a book from our Library of Terrors to read, then come together to discuss it live on air. Which characters do we get too attached to? What plot twist shocked us? Which scares fell flat and which had us jumping out of our seats in anxiety? Which character deaths made us lie down on the floor in anguish? You'll just have to join us here in the Library of Terrors to find out. Dead Letter Society is a proud part of the Moonshot Network. You can find us on Twitter at Dead Letter Pod, and you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon at the next meeting of the Society.